welcome to our weekend services here at the Cornerstone. And you know, all over the world today, people are celebrating Pentecost Sunday, one of the most significant days uh, in the Christian calendar. Because you know, 2,000 years ago, 120 were in the upper room, and God came down and He filled everybody in fulfillment uh, of the prophecy in the book of Joel. Amen. And all um, He'll pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Amen. And He has done so. You know, this weekend, I want to speak to you about a subject that I've entitled a fashion statement. Please, I'm not talking about fashion per se. As you guys know here in Cornerstone, my fashion sense is not uh, the best, okay? Uh, in fact, I probably draw a lot of uh, um, comments from people about the way I dress, and uh, usually it's uh, negative comments, okay? But I think w uh, what I do want to show us and what I want to indicate to us is that you know, the very unique thing about our Christian faith is that, you know, when it comes to, you know, Christianity, our religious leaders, we don't really have a special attire. Amen. I know that in the more traditional churches, you know, the pastors or the vicars or the priests, they may have, you know, um, gowns or they may have certain robes that they wear. But essentially, these are all not required nor mandated by the scriptures. Amen. We don't have special robes. We don't have headgears that we put on. And we pretty much dress the same as the common men on the streets. And I think that this is significant for us to take note of as Christians, and it is important. And I want to take some time to explain this, okay? Now, I want to start by looking at two scriptures. One is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19, and the other is in Deuteronomy 21, verse 11. And these two passages of scripture are similar, and they are commandments that are very, very unusual that is found in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19.19, you will see this, that it says, You shall keep my statutes, you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind, you shall not sow your, seed, your field with mixed seed. And then this is the interesting part uh, to do with fashion, okay? Nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. That's strange, okay? And, um, you know, again, this is repeated in Deuteronomy 21.11, it says, You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Now, it's very interesting because wool comes from an animal and linen uh, in the days uh, of the Old Testament is basically um, from, I think, the flax uh, plant, you know, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a material that comes from vegetation. And so there is a forbidding of the mixing of these materials when we make garments in the Old Testament. Now, I've always had a lot of problems with this, these commandments, okay, because it's, it's, it's kind of hard to try to understand or even explain what this commandment is about. Because it honestly, at face value, it makes no sense at all. I mean, is there something practically detrimental if we were to mix wool and linen? I think in modern uh, technology and science, we realize that the mixing of materials for clothing is actually um, uh, pretty good, right? I mean, you have um, uh, new materials that are of higher quality, you know, that are you know, um, uh, more breathable and all kinds of things. And so with the progression of science and technology, we realize that the mixing of materials is actually a pretty good thing. Now, so the alternative is to consider that these commandments carry some kind of spiritual implications. And for the longest time, I have to say this, I cannot find a spiritual reason that fully satisfied me as to why you cannot mix wool and linen. I want to tell you the genesis of this message by taking us back a couple of weeks ago when I was supposed to speak on a Wednesday evening. And, you know, as I was praying and asking the Lord that time and saying, Lord, what should I speak on? I felt the Lord say very clearly to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. 
Okay, and so I'm going to digress, but I'll bring this back uh, to the point about the wool and the linen, okay? Now, this account of the woman with the issue of blood who touched Jesus and was healed is found in three out of the four Gospels uh, in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I want to take us uh, uh, through a quick read through gospel, uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, verse 43 to 48, okay? Just to refresh our memory concerning this account. Now, in verse 43, it says this, Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, of Jesus' garment. Now, this is where I wanted you to take note of. She touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now, the detail I want for all of us to focus in on was the fact that this woman came to Jesus and she touched the border of his garment. In the other Gospels, it is sometimes said that she touched the hem of his garment or the fringes of his garment. Now, as a non-Jewish person, this really doesn't make much sense to us, right? But if you were a Jewish person, particularly one who is an Orthodox Jew or one who is living in the days of Jesus, then you would realize that the Bible is actually being very specific about where this woman touched Jesus. Because there are other times where people have touched Jesus and it's not indicated where they touched him. But this is so uh, uh, specific that she touched the borders of uh, his garment. Now, to be clear, our sense when we read this passage of Scripture, it may appear as though like, you know, this woman just touched the edges of the Lord's garment, right? Or, the, uh, you know, or whatever it is that was convenient for her, whatever her hands could reach and touch. However, I want to suggest to you, and I want to say this to you, that it is actually very specific in referring that to that this woman actually touched the border or the hem of his garment. It's actually referring to the fact that she touched the tassels that were on the mantle that Jesus wore. So it wasn't that she touched any part of her clothes. It was very specific. The, 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 the indication in Scripture to us is that she literally went for the tassels that were hanging on the mantle that Jesus wore. Now, first thing, we need to understand that in the days when Jesus lived, the Jewish people, and in particular the rabbis, would wear a mantle or a prayer shawl over their shoulders. And this mantle or prayer shawl is actually called a talit. Now, on the four corners of this talit are four tassels, and in the, Jew, Jewish, uh, in the Hebrew, it is called zitzit, okay? Zitzit. That sounds funny, but it's going to be easy for you to remember. I, I promise you, at the end of this service, everybody will go, be going around zitzit here, zitzit there, okay? And, um, and the description of these tassels, uh, you know, is found in Numbers chapter 15, verse 38 to 40. And if you can, uh, I think that the you know, media team has prepared a little picture of what a tassel looks like. You can take a look at it, okay? But the commandment for the tassels is found in Numbers 15, and I want to read this to you, okay? And it says this, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corner, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord." And do them. 
that you may not follow the harlotry in which, uh, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So here is the tassel. If, I, if you could just show the picture of the tassel again, okay? And take a look at the tassels, or you can just download the Church Scribe app and, you know, the picture of the tassel is in the, in the slide deck uh, that is uh, given to you, okay? And um, now if you look at the tassels, you know, you've you got to realize that God gave this commandment and there's a purpose for these tassels because the tassels were meant to be a reminder of the commandments that God has given to His people. They were meant to be a visual nudge so that every time they saw it, it would sort of bring their moral bearings back into focus on the Lord instead of what their own heart's desire was for, right? And that was supposed to be something they wore around themselves as a reminder. So the question then needs to be answered as to why this woman with the issue of blood was so specific to touch the tassels that's on this talit that Jesus was wearing. And the answer is found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And this is again a well-known scripture for many Christians. And it says this, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, what's not obvious from this English translation is that the word wings is actually the same word for fringes or tassels. In other words, it says, you know, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His tassels. That's what it means. You see, Malachi chapter 4 is a messianic chapter, speaking about the coming of the Messiah. It's one of those important chapters in the Old Testament that really gives us an indication of how the Messiah is going to look like and what He's going to do. It's talking about the Saviour of the world. It talks about the coming of Elijah and how Elijah is you know, part of the, uh, you know, the, the company that comes with the Messiah. He's the forerunner to the Messiah and he will turn the hearts of the people back towards the Lord, right? So when the people read verse 2, and they saw the Son of Righteousness, the people understood the Son of Righteousness was a direct reference to Messiah. The Son of Righteousness is a name or one of the, the, the names or descriptions that's given about the Messiah. And look at what it says. The sign of the Messiah is that He will carry healings in the tassels of His mantle. That's what it's saying. So hence the woman, with the woman with the issue of blood, she was looking at Jesus and she's acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. And according to Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, then there is healing to be found in the tassels of the Lord's mantle. So she wasn't just randomly touching a part of Jesus' clothes, but she was specifically going after the tassels because her faith was according to Malachi 4.2 that in the tassels of the Messiah there is found healing. And sure enough, she got healed. Now, there's something really interesting because after what this woman did, something, you know, the people all recognized it. It wasn't just an act. It wasn't just a, a, a random act of healing. The, the, but because she told the people why she did that, it began to stir in the people an awakening. Because what happens after that is in Matthew chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 6, which are both accounts after this incident, we begin to see many people coming to Jesus and seeking to touch the Lord's tassels. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 56, it says this, that when Jesus entered into village, uh, wherever Jesus entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem or the tassels of his garment. 
and as many as touch him were made well. In other words, this woman with the issue of blood, she caused a stirring in the people and the people began to recognize that this is the Messiah and they touched his tassels according to Malachi 4.2, the promise that is found there. You know, um, what we need to realize is this, the Gospels is really not just a random collection of miracles that the apostles pick and choose and says, I'm going to put this in the Gospels, okay? But instead, everything is recorded, you know, everything that is recorded has a synchrony of purpose that ties the Old Testament cohesively into the New Testament. You understand that? That's why those miracles, uh, you know, you've got to read it not just as miracles, but as signs and as wonders and as a message that is being communicated to us. Now, Remember, I started out this message by saying that this is about the fashion statement, okay? And I'm talking about the commandment of not mixing wool and linen. Now, what has that got to do, um, you know, with this woman with the issue uh, of blood? You know, have I digressed so far away that, you know, I missed the point of the initial starting point where we, we began this message? Um, let me assure you, I've not, okay? And let me link it together for you because the tassel or the zitzit essentially was a piece of, um, you know, uh, part of the garment that the people wore. But the unique thing about this piece of garment is that it is a mixture of wool and linen, right? I mean, didn't we just read at the beginning that the people were not supposed to wear clothes with a mixture of wool and linen? And yet the zitzit is a mixture of wool and linen, okay? While it is not recorded for us in Scripture as an instruction that it should be mixed, but in practice, right throughout Jewish history, they understood and they knew that this was a mixture of linen and wool. And what is of note that this is not the only exception found in Jewish society, but the attire of the high priest also consisted of a mixture of wool and linen. The priest would wear linen undergarments, but their colourful vestment was made of wool. The ephod itself was also worn by the priest, you know, and it was a mixture of wool and linen. So the question is, why this discrepancy? Why is there a, a, a commandment given to forbid the mixed usage of these materials? And then literally there are exceptions that are given at the same time. Now, in order to understand this commandment, we need to realize this, that this commandment is not a moral or ethical prohibition. Instead, it is a prohibition in order to reserve something for a specific usage. Now, an easy example for us to understand would be the anointing oil. For example, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 to 25, you can look this up yourself, we're actually told how the anointing oil is to be uh, um, made, the composition of the anointing oil. But at the same time, there is a prohibition on the people that they are not allowed to make the anointing oil for their own use. The anointing oil was only to be made by the priests for the purposes of religious functions. Amen. And so this recipe was to be done, was to be produced exclusively for the purposes of religious anointing, you know, of the tabernacle, of you know, of the priests, and, and so on and so forth. Now, in the same manner, this prohibition of mixing wool and linen was also to indicate the exclusivity of this combination for priestly usage in the garments of the priests and in the construction of the tabernacle of God because the tabernacle was constructed with a mixture of wool and linen. In other words, just like the anointing oil, the mixing of wool and linen was to be exclusively used for religious purposes. But the question then still begs to be answered. Then why does it zit? Because the zitzit is not used uh, by only the priests, but the zitzit or the tassels, which is a mixture of wood and linen, is permitted and required to be worn by every person 
uh, of Israel, right? Now, here is what I believe. I believe that the tassel is really a foreshadow of a truth that God wants to communicate to us. It is an indication of something that would be fulfilled, especially in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi was given the priesthood and only they could serve within the tabernacle and only they could approach God. In fact, it was only the high priest who could come to the uh, holiest place once a year. And they alone would dress with garments mixed with linen and wool. But God's desire from the onset was not that only one tribe could have access to Him. God's desire has always been that the whole nation, every person, would be able to have access to God. That's why He called the nation a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It was the whole nation. It was the nation of kings, a nation of priests. His desire was always been that all Israel should prophesy. The Word declared to us that you would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, which is what we're living in in the New Testament. In other words, when God gave the commandment for the tassels or the zitzit to be adorned by every one of His people, He was giving us a glimpse of the future, you know, of, of where every person that follows Jesus would be a priest unto the Lord. Every person was to carry in them a token of the priesthood through the tassels that they would be wearing. This is a foreshadow that one day every follower of Jesus would be a priest as unto the Lord. Amen. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was rent from top to the bottom. A new priesthood was established, not a Levitical priesthood, but the Bible teaches us that this is a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. A priesthood that was not according to lineage as like the Levitical one, you know, but this is, uh, and that is why, you know, Hebrews, you know, is this, when describing uh, Melchizedek says that he was without father and mother. And this wasn't, of course, literally that he had no father and mother, but it was meant to indicate that his priesthood was not according to parentage or lineage. You know, in the New Testament, we are all priests unto God. Jesus is the high priest who entered once and for all, offered his own blood, you know, and, and this has opened a way for all of us to come and have access to God, which enabled every one of us to become priests to the Most High. Now, I want to give us some handles, okay, and help us look at what this means for us, because it's one thing to understand this commandment, but what is this application for us, you know, today? How do we, you know, um, exercise our priesthood as uh, believers, as those who follow Jesus. And for me to explain that, I want to first say that in, in the Bible, from um, Genesis all the way to Revelations, we see three priest orders or priestly orders that is recorded for us throughout the Bible. Uh, what we are most familiar with, of course, is the Levitical priesthood. And this was established by Moses when he uh, inaugurated the first high priest. And this is what we call the Aaronic all the Levitical priesthood. And this priesthood was done away with when Jesus came and He offered Himself once for all you know, on the cross and He became the perfect sacrifice that cleanses and washes us from all our sins. And then after His death, His resurrection, He establishes a new priesthood, a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is the order of priesthood that we are all a part of an everlasting priesthood. There's no priesthood, there's no new order of priesthood coming after this, okay? Now, the third order, of course, is not so obvious and it is the patriarchal uh, order of the priesthood. And this was practiced by Adam all the way through to the times of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way until the Levitical priesthood 
was inaugurated. Now, I, I want to, you know, I hope to speak about the Melchizedek priesthood at some point, but there's just too much to cover, okay? But I, I want to then instead distill for us some of the qualities of all these three orders of priesthood and give us a sense of what our priestly duty means. Because if we are all supposed to have the zizit on us, if we are all supposed now to be priests unto the Lord today, then what is our duty as priests? What is it that we are supposed to do? I want to give us three things very quickly and I want to bring it to a close, okay? The first is that the priests would bring offerings to the Lord. Now, both the patriarchal order as well as the Levitical order, um, they brought sacrifices and gifts, you know, and um, to the Lord. In the Melchizedek order, Jesus is, uh, was the one perfect sacrifice. And so, in other words, when we live in this new order of the uh, order of Melchizedek, there is no longer a need for us to bring animal sacrifices, you know, or bread, you know, or, you know, or cakes or wafers, you know, um, all these things are not necessary. But instead, the, the New Testament tells us that there are other sacrifices that God is really, really after. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 16, you know, talks about an offering of praise and thanksgiving. It says, therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So this is the sacrifice that we are now to bring to God. With our praises, with our thanksgiving, this is what the Lord looks for. You know, um, the other thing is that God looks for an offering of us surrendering and doing His will. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to verse 7 says this, an offering of doing, you know, uh, therefore when He came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, a burnt, uh, in burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure, then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Amen? And that's what God is looking for as well. And finally, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And this is what we are to do. We are to bring praise, worship, thanksgiving to the Lord. We offer a sacrifice to the Lord by presenting our bodies to Him, a living sacrifice, and to say, Lord, not my will be done, but Yours be done. We become His hands, we become His feet, we serve the community, we, we, we share His love by loving the people that's around us. And when we do these things, we serve God and fulfill our priestly duties. You know, the reason it's called a sacrifice of praise is because God is looking for praise, especially in times when we're going through a difficult season. Amen? You know, I mean, if you just had a promotion and you just collected your year-end bonus, you know, it's very easy for you to praise God, right? But, you know, if things are not going right, you know, you know heightened alert, we are caught in again, um, uh, shut in at home and having to struggle with various things. And then out of that difficulty, we still offer praises and thanksgiving. That's a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Now, the second thing about the priests is the priests were really custodians of the law. In the Levitical priesthood, the priests, you know, um, they implemented the laws, they taught the laws, they interpreted the laws, they maintained copies of the laws, and so on and so forth. And you've got to realize this, the laws are not just a set of legal documents. While the laws in uh, itself, they do not give power to people and enable them to overcome their sinful nature, nonetheless, the laws remain good. And they are a reference point for what constitutes the ways and the nature of God. 
You know, and I want to assure you that when you really study the laws, it is absolutely fascinating. I mean, think about this one law that we're looking at today, mixing wool and linen, right? I mean, it's an obscure law and, you know, it's almost nonsensical when you first look at it. Why can't you mix fabric material? And yet the truth behind it, the sense of the priesthood of believers that is being communicated, it's a truth that is enduring. And the fulfillment expression of this commandment literally blooms and you know, uh, comes to full uh, a manifestation in our times, in our days, thousands of years after it was first given. You see, when we understand the laws, then we also begin to understand the ways of God. Amen? We begin to know what justice is, what righteousness, where is wisdom, what are the boundaries that God has set for us. We, we begin to have uh, an understanding of ethics, morality, and many such things. You know, and our priestly role is basically that our lives would give expression to these laws through our marriage, through our parenting, through our ethics, through what we do and how we conduct ourselves in our workplaces, you know, through the compassion that we show, through the forgiveness, the loving of one another. And this is where the, the law gets preached by us to the rest of the world. And that's what the priest is meant to do. Finally, the last, one, the last point I want to bring to you is that the priests open portals unto the Lord. Now, one of the distinctives about the patriarchs is that in, in, their priest, in their priestly function is that oftentimes they would build altars and they would call upon the name of the Lord. Um, Noah built an altar in Genesis chapter 8. Abraham built several altars. In fact, at least four altars are recorded for us. Isaac, Jacob, every one of them built altars as well. Now, one of the most well-known altars uh, that was constructed by the patriarchs was the one at Bethel. Amen? And this is where Jacob had, you know, this encounter with God and he saw angels ascending, descending, and he called the place Bethel, the house of God. Noah built an altar to God at the end, you know, in Genesis 8, at the end of the flood. And as he built that altar, that aroma of the sacrifice arose in, into, uh, to God. And God made a promise never to destroy the earth again with water. And he gave the rainbow as a sign of his promise. And it came out of the altar and the worship that was presented. You see, that's why altars are really important because they constitute a portal through which God brings His promises, where God shows up, where God starts to work. You know, they become places of angelic activity, angels going up and down. There are places where God shows up and He reveals Himself. There are places where the name of God is expressed and given. And one of the roles as priests that we are to do is that we are to build altars. We build altars in our homes, we build altars in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our nation. You know, I'm not asking for us to, you know, take some rocks and stack up and literally build an altar. Please don't do that, okay? And that's not what we are supposed to do. Please don't also go sacrifice animals, okay? That's SPCA will come after you, okay? Never ever do that. But you see, altars are built through prayer. It's built through worship, it's built through praise and sacrifice and thanksgiving. And, and we, build, we build those altars through those things. You know, when we sacrifice our time, when we sacrifice our finances, our strength to serve and to give in the community. You know, and this is where altars are being made. As God speaks to us, as God encounters us, we bring, you know, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We worship Him. We, make a, we build an altar of prayer. You know, and then what happens is that we bring the presence of God. We bring a revelation of God to those places. I remember about 24 years ago when I first started work and I took on my first job. And before I started work, I felt the Lord said very clearly to me that I'm to pray for my office. And He said specifically pray for two things. He said pray that the Christians who are in the office will rise up and will not hide anymore. 
but they'll begin to share the gospel. They'll begin to tell people that they're Christians. And so I began to pray that. And the second thing the Lord said, you know, pray also that the atmosphere of the office will shift and there'll be an openness in the hearts of the people to receive the gospel. You know, the amazing thing is this. You know, when I, was, uh, when I joined that company and I worked there, the first six months that I worked there, in my division of 100 plus people, over 30 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Some, something happened. The Christians began to wake up. The Christians began to share, you know, their faith. And one by one, people started to get saved. And we, had, we started a prayer meeting, you know, in our office. You know, uh, we had sessions where people came together and worshipped the Lord. And it was as though a portal was built in that place and God could move. And I want to encourage us. That's our job at, as a priest, that if God has placed you on assignment in a place, then it is important that you establish and build an altar as part of your priestly function there. You know, church, I want to I just, you know, uh, share this with you, you know. If you've ever wondered like I did for the longest time, why could wool not be mixed with linen? Today, I hope this will give some insight to you. It isn't as much about the clothings that we wear, but it is about the fact that all of us carry in us the priesthood that once belonged only to the Levites, you know, to the, to the Levitical tribe, but today has been given to every one of us. Amen. And we are all priests, we are all kings, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God calls us to go out and be His representatives wherever we are. You know, when Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, it is an, a fulfillment of this, it's an expression of God's desire that He would anoint every single one of us to do the work of the ministry, amen. Every one of us being able to bring people to an encounter with Jesus Christ, every one of us being able to transform places, change atmospheres. That God, part of our job is to wake up early in the morning and to present to God a, you know, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and to bless Him and to worship Him, amen. And that's our job and that's our role. You know, I want to encourage you today that as you hear this message, especially on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came for a reason. He has come to empower us so that we may be witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All shall prophesy, all shall serve the Lord, all shall speak the word of the Lord. Amen. And I want to uh, close by encouraging us, you know, be strong, be bold during this season, especially during this COVID season, to go out and share the love of Jesus Christ, you know, and to believe that as you lay hands on the sick, the sick shall recover. Then you will cast out demons. Amen. And you will cause the lame to walk again. The blind eyes shall be opened to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this weekend. God bless you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.